Hello, welcome to episode 11 of the Karma Sense Wellness Foodcast. I'm Davey H., and children are our future. to the kids of Springfield sing that song all day, but we got a show to do. In this episode of the Foodcast, I have the distinct honor of talking with Chef Michael McDermott. He's a chef, obviously. He's a media personality. He's a food activist. And he's the creator of the Kids Cooking Network, an outlet for kids and by kids that foster and ignites their passion for food. And we're not talking about shows with kids getting chopped because they took the easy way out and used truffle oil. We're talking about everything great about food, where it comes from, who grows it, how to plan meals that taste good and feel good, and how to enjoy your food while still caring for the planet. After our discussion, Michael sets me loose to try and find a decent, ongoing source for good nutrition information that's suitable for kids. He wouldn't let me cheat and go directly to the Kids Cooking Network, but I fooled him. I used his assignment as an excuse to get caught up on some of my favorite cartoons. Find out what I learned. But first, here's a rant. I get a lot of questions from listeners and followers about specific nutrition challenges. They're not the kind of thing that would interest a general audience and that I discuss in the Dear Davey H segment, but more and more I get letters, well, not letters, but you know, those things that accompany funny sounds. You've got mail. No, not that sound, but you get the idea. Jeez, Grandma, I'm trying to record here. Put your computer on mute. Anyway, more and more I get questions from concerned parents who want to help their kids adopt lifelong good nutrition habits, but are stumped due to all the tides working against them. Here's a sample from a Facebook follower. Hi Davy H. Have you ever run across any nutrition education targeting children? I need a way to explain to my nine-year-old why it's not okay to live off of instant ramen, spaghettios, and nuggets, even if she is still slim. I understand this Facebook follower's concern. Instant ramen is all-nighter food, and a nine-year-old should not be pulling all-nighters. We went on to discuss some ideas on how to round out this correspondence kid's palate, but I was especially intrigued by the first part of the question. Have you ever run across any nutrition education targeting children? The answer was, lately, no. But it was a perfect question for me. Because not only do I have an unnatural, irrational, and insatiable curiosity about nutrition, but consuming reference material from media targeted for nine-year-olds was right up my alley. And this is part of what set me off on the activity you'll hear about in the third segment of today's podcast. But before we get into that, let's set some context now, because it'll help with the rest of today's show. Malnutrition is rampant and takes many forms. In the U.S., about 15% of our children are food insecure. They don't have predictable access to good food, or any food. Meanwhile, a third of our kids are obese, and some of those are the same kids who are food insecure. In the developing world, one in six kids is underweight, yet the number of obese kids doubles every 10 years. In America, there are almost 4,000 new cases of type 2 diabetes in kids every year. 4,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but diabetes, type 2 diabetes, it's a fully preventable lifestyle disease. 4,000 kids every year. 50% of obese children become obese adults. 
The most conservative estimates say obesity costs the U.S. economy $150 million a year. The average school lunch offers a student 15 minutes tops of table time. A lot of them only offer 10. This teaches a habit of wolfing down meals. A recent meta-analysis in the International Journal of Obesity concluded that eating quickly is directly correlated to obesity. About 10 million kids are latchkey kids. That means they care for themselves before or after school. Without knowledge of basic kitchen skills and access to fresh food, that leaves them few healthy options. Schools do teach about nutrition, but as the students progress through their grades, the amount of nutrition education declines so that by the time kids become independent and can manage their own choices, about one-fifth of them have the age-relevant information they need. Are you seeing a pattern? But how do we fit nutrition education into an overburdened curriculum for a country that's already falling behind in its math and science scores? Well, I have a modest proposal. No, not a Jonathan Swift-like modest proposal in which he sarcastically suggested the cure to the poverty problem in England was for the poor to eat their own children. This is a serious proposal for improving our kids' NQ, their nutrition quotient, and igniting their passion to learn without compromising the importance of mastering other subjects. In the KarmaSense eating plan, the description of mantra number four, eat whole food carbohydrates after vigorous exercise, is structured like a typical high school student's school day. The reader learns about how to manage the guidelines for good nutrition from the perspective of a student working his or her way through a day's worth of classes. They learn about the guideline from the perspective of English, history, language, philosophy, biology, math, and even PE. I could do that because food is so pervasive in our culture. It is math, science, literature, philosophy, sociology, geography, art, and so on. Cooking, growing food, meal planning, it's all math and science. History and literature are both full of key food-related moments. Writing a recipe so that another person can follow it, that's an advanced language skill. And learning about other cultures through food, no-brainer. When I asked the person who wrote to me on Facebook what her child's favorite subject was, the answer was art. Food can be both the subject and medium for many an art project. I don't mean macaroni necklaces, but have you ever seen what can be done with a well-plated meal? What if one day a week we taught nutrition that way? What if a school could coordinate and dedicate a day to a certain aspect of nutrition and explore that aspect through the lens of the relevant subject for each part of the school day. For kids who have a passion for some subjects and not others, you'd be teaching them about how food relates to something they love and foster some respect and mindfulness for their eating. For kids already interested in pursuing a career in food services but not otherwise engaged in the school day, you'd be showing how these other subjects are key to their success. I know this isn't an infallible solution to the growing problems of obesity, illiteracy, and apathy. It won't solve world hunger, literally or figuratively. But it's a great thought exercise, and it's only a modest proposal. I'm honored to have with me a guest, Chef Michael McDermott. Michael's turned his passion for food into a lifetime pursuit. He started working out of his parents' luncheonette in Queens and circulated through several kitchen jobs before joining the Marine Corps and eventually enrolling in the Culinary Institute of America. After helping Pierre Cardin open the first Maxime's in the U.S., Michael made a bet that his passion for food could be shared in new ways and hosted The Food Show, the first nationally syndicated radio show in the country. That's right, 
He's the pioneer that basically invented the food cast. The success of that led to other stints both in front of and behind the mic and camera. Not being satisfied with his influence through media, Michael got involved in food policy. He worked in the White House and shaped one of my favorite blogging topics, the Dietary Guidelines for America. Today, Michael brings his skills in cooking, media, nutrition, and food policy together in an amazing endeavor called the Kids Cooking Network, or TKCN. Michael's here to talk about the good works of TKCN and his passion for food. Michael, thanks so much for joining the Karma Sense Foodcast. It's an amazing resume. Did I get it all right? <laughs> Sounds great. That's an excellent question. Very fortunate. I've done a lot of things in my career. I've met a lot of wonderful people and have uh, the good fortune of working on some very special projects, that, um, the least of which, as you mentioned, was the Kids Cooking Network. You got the bug for cooking. You learned your respect for food at an early age. It's in your genes. What inspired you to expand your reach from creating meals for individual customers and expanding into radio? Well, an excellent question, Dave. And uh, thanks for having me on the Foodcast. Really excited about it. With the, with the radio program, I was actually interviewed on a local radio program. And the host said, God, you should do radio. And that's <laughs> how it started. I'm sitting in front of a mic for two hours with an engineer and talking to the, the masses. But it had gave me an opportunity to facilitate one thing that's, uh, that I'm sure you may agree with food and nutrition information. It's sometimes um, you know, run through three or four different process before it actually reaches the public and what I wanted to do with the food show the radio program was to put people in touch with folks that were you know um, so quote-unquote experts in their field and let them ask them questions directly like Dr. Dean Ornish, Paul Prudhomme, Chef, Paul, uh, Chef uh, Daniel Ballou, uh, authors, uh, so forth so that people could get information and decide for themselves rather than have that information you know, given to them, uh, sort of not, I wouldn't say biased, but uh, when it already ran through three or four filters. So they had the opportunity to ask pretty much the source and then make conscious decisions for themselves. We have entire channels focused on food and food taking up significant <laughs> part of the broadcasting spectrum. You were on the forefront of that. It was really exciting because I could say, you know, I can say that, that we, that we um, developed a lot of the programming worked on the show, uh, you know, to help develop the show Diners, Drives, and Dives, and the, uh, the, food, the food show was the first nationally syndicated radio program on food and nutrition, and of course, everyone says you can't do food on the radio, and they should talk to you, but uh, just really exciting to be able to empower people to eat better so they can live better, so that was the most, that's really the, the thing that presses me forward, is to help people to get information that's accurate and let them decide for themselves on what their food choices and nutrition choices are on your program, obviously. We're talking sustainability, and people have to realize, as with your, your book, Karmic Sense, that their food choices have a very large impact to the world uh, as a whole. You mentioned that people told you that you can't do food on the radio. If I, uh, such a big part of our appeal for food is visual. You are able to avoid that by just uh, focusing on the uh, interests and expertise of your interview subjects. Correct. I mean, the first hour was called um, Ask the Chef, where people would call in and ask questions live for me. But I didn't know the answer. I would have the answer the following week. We were on two hours. 
And then we also had the refrigerator challenge of people calling, tell me what's in your refrigerator. We'll make a meal or a dish that's helpful, great tasting, and fast. 1-800-CHEF. And that was so popular that my engineer had to cut it off 10 minutes before the interview portion or callers would bleed right into the interview portion still asking uh, the refrigerator challenge questions. And now with the Kids Cooking Network, the refrigerator challenge has morphed into the after school refrigerator challenge where we do things like funky monkey dogs after school. What are your specific goals with Kids Cooking? Well, with the Kids Cooking Network, the goals are to empower children and families to eat better, they can live better. That's the overall goal. And we want to have real-time live-to-tape reporting on the ground. That's how it's designed, where our kid reporters, our TKCN reporters, will be there on the ground interviewing you know, people like Colin Campbell at Cornell University uh, and, and various chefs and experts and nutritionists and authors around the country that would be standing in the field holding up a zucchini going, hey, this is what you should look for, and this is where the zucchini comes, and this is the farmer who grew it. So children and families get a real sense of how important their food choices are in in, uh, in the economy, in their day-to-day life, in, in the world at large. What problems are you trying to solve? Well, the, the problems are right now that we'd like to address, and of course we're we're just contributing to it, would be you know, mainly sustainability and local, regionalized economies of scale. Now, that's a, a lot of words, but basically, buy local, grow local. So, what we do, we we actually create jobs, we create infrastructure. We and the bottom line is, everyone within your community gets locally grown goods and services, and that's really important to move forward in, into this new world that we're we're embarking on right now. We need really need to go back to it. Asia, Europe, um, they really never went, went away from it. If you travel, I, I'm sure you've traveled. You can see that when you go, they have very small grocery stores instead of these huge, humongous, uh, the, you know, the name that will go on said, uh, everything stores. So the economy is supported by the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. And that's what children and families really need to realize is that when you buy local and you support your local farmers, you're not only getting a better product at a better price, but you're also supporting the community at large. And when you're you're going to these uh, smaller kind of outfits, it also forces you to, to think through how you're going to use the food a little bit more. You're, you're not in a position to go there and stock up as much do your weekly grocery shop you you have to go there sometimes more often and it really forces you to start looking at how you use the entire part of the the plant and the entire part of the animal oh absolutely i, I agree with you 200 percent. and i've worked uh, extensively with uh, some native american communities and they've never gone away from that in fact we're, we're we we had sought to work with a, a number of nations to uh, work with their livestock and work with their their plant uh, and, and their produce operations primarily because on those nations there's never been produce. I mean, there's never been pesticides used. So we have the opportunity to create local sustainable hubs. From that, uh, I think the native folks have 55 million acres within U.S. That that can grow a lot of food. But getting back to your excellent point of using. The, the end of it, the, it, it forces you to learn how to cook. And there really isn't, as we say in classical cooking, and when I cook for Julia Childs, 
you know, she ate the simplest thing on the menu. It's all about the art of simplicity. And when you have locally grown uh, livestock and produce, uh, the taste and, and the quality of it is, is far superior. There's not, there's nothing like it. I mean, I grew up half my life on a farm. My, my grandparents had 300 acres and we had, um, you know, everything was organic. They didn't call it organic, but, and, but the flavors were just incredible. And, when people, the first bite, as they say, there, I love your, your fork in the world on your book, Comic Sense. Um, the first bite you can test, taste the difference. And usually people don't go back. So with the Kids Cooking Network, not only do we want to teach them where it comes from, but we want to help facilitate, you know, how to prepare those, how to do meal planning, how to do prep, how to get ready for the week. So you're not doing so much work every night. You mentioned working with folks on the reservation. There's an interesting dichotomy, and I know it's especially prevalent uh, in areas like that, as well as in the developing world where you have a lot of people who have uh, food insecurity and they're hungry, yet you have a, a growing population that's becoming obese as well. So you have this dichotomy of malnutrition where uh, people are both hungry, yet they're uh, overweight. Are, are you seeing any results in the work that you're doing there to, to drive that in a better position? Oh, absolutely. We worked with a school on, um, on the Tahana Odom uh, Nation. It's called the San Javier Mission School. It's the oldest Catholic school in the United States. And they were actually going to the grocery store instead of having a purveyor. It was just uh, the food was just horrendous. And in about 30 days, we completely turned it around by just giving them a new way of thinking. And then the nation, you know, in that, in that district really embraced it because that's really their culture is to have respect for the earth and, you know, take from the earth and give back. So it was very apropos that we went in and started putting in local sustainable and we actually took all the products that were on their menu and converted them to whole food options. And one of the things that I've been told time and time again, you know, that's more expensive. Well, we proved that wrong. We, we actually dropped the obesity in the student population by 20% documented. And we also cut their costs and raised their participation, which equals revenue when you're talking about school food. So we took that model and then presented it and uh, we're still, uh, we're still knocking on that door, but, we feel that if we do the good work every day, eventually to catch on, but the effect that it had on the folks, the children and the people of that nation, you know, the Tahanavadam nation was just absolutely profound to see their looks on their faces and, and see that they, and the, and the satisfaction of having control over eating healthful and, um, and just having, uh, you know, having a better life. It's just, it, there's nothing like it. Yeah, and that, that uh, whole notion of the, the cost of eating healthy, it, it can get frustrating at uh, times. People look at the raw cost of, uh, of the food that they're buying, the so-called uh, healthy food. Uh, they don't look at the overall cost of how it's impacting their health, how it's impacting their productivity at work, in their jobs, etc. It just gets very frustrating. Well, to prove the point around the world in, in older, quote-unquote, cultures that have still stayed with that for centuries, they have, I mean, it, <laughs> you can't argue with the numbers. They have lower rates of infections, diseases by, you know, drastic percentages in Asia and Europe. And 
because they've never gone away from eating local, eating sustainable, buying small amounts. They have little refrigerators. That's not because they're they're cheap <laughs> and they don't want a big refrigerator. It's because they shop two or three times a week. Right. And it's very possible to do that. Also, when you use the food and you and you in, in proper ways and you plan over time, it's much less expensive to eat at Whole Foods. Right. And and uh, often what we uh, hear in in the Western world consider the scraps, the food scraps, those are often mm-hmm. the healthiest parts of the of the food. Oh, absolutely. And we we utilize, just to give an example. I was the director of food service for Celebrity Cruise Lines, and this is why I was brought to the White House for the chefs and the schools is because of my background and, and expertise in operations, distribution, and food preparation on a mass scale. We did 88,000 meals a day from scratch at a, what, what's called the 32% food cost, which is a really good food cost. So when the schools say they can't make their transition, it's 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 I hate to... I don't want to bash them, but it's not, it's not true because we, I, we made 88,000 meals a day from scratch. We didn't even buy pancake batter on three continents. So imagine the logistics involved in the amount of food that we had to move and coordinate and prepare to do that. And we had actually very little waste because on the ships, you can't really dump, you're in the middle of the ocean. So yeah. you have to utilize everything. So we found very creative ways to use everything and uh, present it in a very palatable, great tasting manner that people are like, oh my God, beetroot, that was awesome. <laughs> so back to the, the Kids Cooking Network, how do you feel it's different from other kid-oriented nutrition programming? That's an excellent question. As I mentioned earlier, it's a reporting format where our TKC and our kid reporters are on the ground. They're actually reporting live from food events, they're interviewing chefs, authors, they're going to the farm, they're going to the market, they have a, we have a panel, which is called the Kids Cooking Network Food Product Review, where the kids will sit around and review a food product and say whether or not they like it and why, what does it do to contribute to sustainability. It's very, uh, it's based on, you know, on taking care of the community and taking care of the earth, but once again, Reporting formats are, are very popular in, in media. So we want the children who are ranged from 7 to 17, what they do is they report. We had um, Ron, or Ron uh, excuse me, Rob John Hemingway is the great-grandson of Ernest Hemingway. He reported, he reported live from the Fancy Food Show. So this type of information is not only usable for children and families, but very apropos, and they're getting it directly from the source. And it's a very short format. Our, our segments are about three minutes long. We have, hi, I'm Rob from the Kids Cooking Network. We're live from the Fancy Food Show. Thank you for watching. Watch the next segment. So the other shows that are on are either contest-based or just cooking-based, which I don't. it's not a waste of time, but... You need a lot more information before you go into the kitchen and actually prepare. And also, a lot of these cooking shows that are on right now for children are pitting them against each other in competitions that I just don't. You know, I just don't think it's 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 useful. I think it's a maybe it may be entertaining, but is it really teaching children and families how to take better care of themselves and prepare meals on a daily basis? 
No, I don't think so. And the Kids Cooking Network is the exact opposite. We're reporting live and getting the information right, right from the source on food and nutrition so people can empower themselves to take care of themselves. You know, the, the Funky Monkey Dog After School Refrigerator Challenge, uh, you listen to the MP3 because we're going to do radio as well, and it's basically a, a piece of whole grain bread, uh, natural peanut butter, uh, natural granola, and a banana. But Funky Monkey Dog is a lot more fun. So we make the, su- the subjects fun and, uh, and, and pertinent to, you know, holidays, uh, past. There's a lot of dishes that kids have brought with their cultural background and their families from other parts of the world. And everybody would like to know, you know, how do you integrate that into your daily life? How do you stay true to your culture? So this is the type of information that we provide in what I call what I call real time because we produce what's called live to tape, which looks like, um, you know, our kids, our TKCN reporters are reporting live from there. Obviously, we tape it, but, you know, we can report in real time. We can report in certain times of the year. We can get news from food shows and purveyors and vendors and authors that's pertinent to your daily life now. And that's really uh, the core of what we do. Yeah, and and what uh, what seems to be so nice about this format is you're right about the the uh, competition aspect. It seems like there's an option of shows that are out there purely for entertainment value, or they really just disrespect the intelligence of the kids. And it seems like you're uh, making sure that it's interesting, that it's engaging, that it's intelligent. Uh, but uh, the kids get a lot out of the show, too, and you are respecting their intelligence. Thank you, Dave. And that, that's, our, that's our purpose. That's, and that started with the food show. Because we had to make, imagine I'm sitting in a room and I'm talking about food and nutrition, and people can't see me. So we had to make it very entertaining. We, used to have, we had chickens attack the station one time. We had this clucking noise in the background when I was doing the segment. Um, we, we just used to do a lot of fun, goofy things. And my engineer was very patient with me and he would, he would let me to do, but you know, you're talking to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people across the state or millions across the nation and you have to captivate their attention. And it's the same thing with learning. So I really appreciate the compliment. You've definitely uh, grasped the essence of the kids cooking network and what we are doing now and what we, uh, we deem to accomplish, in, in, uh, you know, going forward. Now, uh, Michael, you you explore the uh, aspects of just uh, good nutrition in TKCN. You also focus on sustainability, eat local, etc. There's another aspect that's troubling about the way we eat, which is uh, the family meal tends to be disappearing. We eat on the go. I heard a statistic that says as many as 30% of meals are eaten in car these days. What are you doing to focus on that aspect of it? Well, that's an excellent question. And one of the things that one of the segments that we have is is family meals or, or, or you know, popular meals redo. That's one of our segments that you know, what do you, what do you guys, what do you guys sit down and eat and how can we make that particular meal more helpful? Like if you like lasagna, we, we have, we encourage and we show the kids and the families how to make that together and then prep ahead of time. The problem is that we have a lot of families that have two income uh, households and the parents are working all the time. So 
you have latchkey kids. And what we want to teach, attempt to, and, and what we are doing is we're helping the kids learn how to do some meal prep, how to organize, how to get things ready for the family meal. So when the parents come home, they don't have two hours or an hour of preparation. They can pretty much put the meal together and then sit down. One of the things that Paul Prudhomme said, God rest his soul before he passed to me on, a, on an interview on the food show, he said it's so important and imperative for people to sit down and have a family meal. My son and myself, I'm a single parent, we have a minimum of one meal, sit down, and, di and dinner every single night. And I'm very busy. I have three businesses. I have the Kids Cooking Network. I have lunch, the seasonings. I do consulting. But heck or high water, we sit down for at least 30 minutes and talk and, and share a meal, you know, every day during the week. And it's possible. But once again, you have to be organized. And the Kids Cooking Network whole premise is to help families and kids be organized, have them show them how to do what's called meal prep, how to, how to shop. You know, all these things are contributing to being able to sit down. You know, that's what I was talking about when we talked about these recipe shows and these context shows. They don't really contribute to helping kids and families eat better because they don't talk about preparation. They don't talk about shopping. They don't talk about organization. And we are addressing all of those in the Kids Cooking Network. You're uh, basically, you make it a part of your work day to have a meal with your son. I, I went through your CV. You're obviously uh, busy to do it, but eating is something that you just, everyone just has to do. And part of the experience really should be sharing it with uh, other people and you're making sure that that happens. Absolutely. And we're going to, we're going to talk about having, you know, community events, uh, going back to, to potlucks. We'll talk about that where we're, we're going to show, you know, teenage, we have teen reporters, obviously, and the teen reporters will talk about having and organizing potlucks with their friends. I mean, these are the things that we, we did these things for centuries. We got away from them because teens also have to have a sense of community and sense of belonging with their, between their own personal groups, because that's where they learn to, you know, they learn about forming community. They learn about family with their friends because, you know, your friends are your extended family. So we want to encourage as much and show the practical application and the rem and you know how important this is because you sit down and you have a laugh you learn about the person's day um, there's not an event on the planet that doesn't have some sort of food involved with it communal eating and breaking bread has been something that we've done for centuries to 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 just proliferate the health and wellness of your family and and your community how can we find the kids cooking network Kids Cooking Network is up online right now. We're online right now. We're getting ready to launch on what's called Navi Pass, which is owned by Mattel. And that'll go out to about 5 million people. We're also going to be launching very soon on um, several other digital platforms and broadcast, broadcast platforms. The easiest way to keep up with the Kids Cooking Network and see what's coming is we have announcements daily is on our Facebook page, the Kids Cooking Network on Facebook. And yeah, I'll include a, a link to that as well on the show notes. Thank you. Is there anything at this point you think that you haven't 
been able to express about the Kids Cooking Network that you want to make sure the listeners well, of the Foodcast know? Well, first of all, I want to express our gratitude for the opportunity to chat with you today, Dave, on the subject and just express how important it is to encourage uh, you know, endeavors like the Kids Cooking Network and also to you know, make sure that you carve out some time in your day with either your loved ones, your children, your family overall, over a meal. It's incredibly important. Uh, that's, uh, that's advice that makes uh, karma sense, and Foodcast listeners know that uh, I'm uh, all in on that advice. So thanks again, uh, Michael. I really appreciate your time on this. I know you're, uh, you're very busy, and to support a, a fledgling food broadcaster like myself, it's, it's just a great honor, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Dave. honor to be on your show, and uh, any way I can encourage and help in that regard, don't hesitate. After that interview, Michael gave me an assignment. We'll find out more about it after we listen to a sample of the Kids Cooking Network After School Refrigerator Challenge. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. How about something healthy? How about boring? Wait, I want to know what he has to say. The Kids Cooking Network presents the After School Refrigerator Challenge. Today's healthy, easy, too good to be true recipe is the Funky Monkey Dog. Ready? All you need is a slice of whole wheat bread, all fruit jam, natural peanut butter, granola, and a peeled banana. Now, spread P&J on the bread, sprinkle with granola, wrap around the banana, then eat it. This is awesome. So easy and so good. Excellent. Now, act like a monkey and bark like a dog. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think so. This has been a Kids Cooking Network After School Refrigerator Challenge, presented by... Between the question I read from the Facebook follower during my rant and the discussion with Chef Michael, we thought it'd be good to explore the food and nutrition messages we give to kids. The government, medicine, and big food, aka the healthcare industrial complex, influence all people's food and nutrition choices in subtle and over-the-top ways. I could spend forever digging into that question. In fact, one reason why I think Chef Michael thought it'd be a good idea is that it would keep me so busy I wouldn't bother him anymore. Because I'm working under a self-inflicted podcast deadline, I had to put some parameters around this. I decided I'd look at what influences kids get on TV, so passive manipulation, versus what kids with genuine curiosity would find on the subject of nutrition if they tried. For the latter, I went to the internet. Let's look at what I found on TV first. It was the middle of the day, but after school, so it was prime TV watching time for the kids of America. I did a search on my trusty Xfinity cable guide. By the way, Comcast sucks. I did that search for kid-oriented programming. I hit pay dirt. The shows that came up in increasing order of how much they interested me were something called Sam and Cat on Nick Teen, Kirby Buckets on Disney XD, Live Free or Die on National Geographic, and then not one, but two different Power Rangers on two different Nickelodeon channels and a two-hour movie called Scooby-Doo WrestleMania Mystery, a crossover that remained true to both art forms. There were two different aspects to this part of the research project. What food content is there in the shows themselves, and which advertisers are paying for airtime, and what are they advertising? I set my DVR to record all those shows. I watch them, and hear my observations. At some point, most of the shows had their characters eating. 
when there is eating, it's pizza. Sam and Cat, Kirby Buckets, and Scooby-Doo all included copious pizza eating. The Kirby Buckets episode was entirely about pizza. Scooby-Doo included a really weird dream sequence in which Scooby wrestled a pizza. Sam and Cat, a show about two preteen girls, also included copious cupcake eating. Across the seven characters I saw eating pizza and cupcakes, only one would be classified as overweight. Not obese, but overweight. I have no quarrels with pizza and cupcakes, but what about throwing in a carrot stick with some bean dip here or there? And what about using some realistically shaped characters? Live Free and Die was different. It was a live-action reality show, as opposed to an animated reality show, I guess. It was about people going off the grid and living off the land. There were some good messages in it. So many vegetables you buy in the store, you can grow with almost no maintenance in your own yard. It also included one of my own favorite creepy obsessions, insect eating. It's going to happen, folks. It's going to happen. But then it broke for commercial. And what was that a commercial for? Pizza. You'd rather have four large crispy slices of deep, deep dish pepperoni pizza or ten pieces of delicious Italian cheese bread with crazy sauce. Now you can have both. Actually, between the Little Caesars pizza or the cheese bread with crazy sauce, I think I'll go for eating insects. But while we're on commercials, let's look at the commercials I saw. Advertising during kids' programming is highly regulated. Not the content, but the amount. There are usually two or three commercial segments every 30 minutes. Kids shows are not allowed to show more than 12 minutes of commercials per hour. My food commercial watching task was made easier thanks to three contributing factors. One, it's a week before Halloween and that means we're in prime holiday toy commercial season. 90% of the ads were for toys. And folks, there are some great toys coming out. Mrs. H, I'm working on my list. The new Transformers toy looks awesome. Two, the DVR has a fast forward function. Three, in five hours of kids programming, I only saw eight different food commercials. And this made the fast forward job easier since it was just a repeat of the same thing over and over again. Across all of the shows but Live Free or Die, I saw a commercial for Rice Krispies and Fruit Loops that was really for the Disney Moana glow-in-the-dark stickers that came inside. That one I saw eight times. I also saw the same McDonald's Happy Meal commercial eight times. Less frequent were the commercials for Frosted Flakes and Lunchables with 100% juice. Not 95%, 100%. I could basically subcategorize the commercials I saw into commercials for refined grains coated with sugar, processed meat, and soda without bubbles. On Live Free and Die, I saw a greater variety. I saw commercials for Little Caesars, Papa John's, Prosciutto's Frozen Pizza, and if your taste for Italian is a little more upscale, Olive Garden. My conclusion, and I don't think it's a surprise to anyone, is that kids' programming is not about making healthy food choices. If you're a mom whose kid only eats ramen, SpaghettiOs, and Nuggets, you may be better off than most. Especially if your kid is eating the SpaghettiOs with Star Wars or Disney princess shapes. Those are really cool. Now, what does the internet have for kids who want to learn more about nutrition? Wow, it's a jungle out there. Anyone who ever did a YouTube search for ThinkGeek's Betamax to HD DVD converter and watched all 39 seconds can tell you, it's just a minefield in general. And it's no different for childhood nutrition specifically. Whether doing a generic Google search or looking for specific YouTube clips, it's hit or miss. Most of what I found at best talked down to kids and at worst was just wrong. 
For example, the top video I found was only one year old, and it was touting the food pyramid. The government gave up on the food pyramid in the first Obama administration. Thanks, Obama. I searched government websites and I found half-baked programs that may have had good intent, but never found traction. Has that, have any of you ever heard of the USDA's Power Panther? He's there to teach children how to eat healthy. I don't know what kids he's teaching, but I've never heard of him. PBS had some one-off videos, but I don't think this is a problem that can be fixed with a one-video-and-done mentality. It needs a series. It needs ongoing support. Kids are no different from adults when it comes to learning good habits. It takes repetition, and it takes that ongoing support. And as good as the nutrition episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy was, kids will only watch it a few times before they go back to watching Frozen for the 10,000th time. It seems that Chef Michael is on the right track with the Kids Cooking Network, and I wish him the best. And then, there's my modest proposal. And so we bring episode 11 to a close. I have all the good resources on the Kids Cooking Network on the show notes. I can't thank Chef Michael enough for appearing on the show and for what he's doing on behalf of our kids. I also want to thank Kimberly for putting me and Chef Michael together, and the parents who brought this challenge to my attention. If you have an interest in my modest proposal and know of a way to get it off the ground, let me know. I think it's a winning idea. If you want to actually read my chapter from the Karma Sense Eating Plan that relates to that idea, you can buy it anywhere books are sold. All profits go to Alice's Kids. And just a few more announcements before we go. Keep an eye out for your opportunity to join the Make May 24th National Schlumpia Day Facebook. It's coming. Also, I'll be providing diabetes lifestyle management coaching at the health fair for uninsured citizens at George Washington Middle School in Alexandria, Virginia on November 5th. Finally, whether you love or hate the Foodcast, please post a review in iTunes. Until next time, remember... Beachwood age lover. Children!